The reason is estradiol is essentially your skin elasticity. It's your, it's how you feel. It's your energy. It's your sex drive. Like there's so many things. We need estrogen. Hey there, welcome to the Biohacker Babes podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Renee, a certified nutritional consultant with a master's degree in nutrition. What's up? And I'm Lauren, functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner and Czech movement specialist. We're sisters and we're joining forces to empower you to become your own biohacker and upgrade your life. Our mission is to provide actionable steps so you can optimize your health, strengthen your intuition, and support your body's natural healing abilities. Because life is too short to not feel your best every single day. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. What's up and welcome to the Biohacker Babes. This is episode 186. My name's Renee and I have my beautiful sister Lauren here today. Hi, Renee. (laughs) What? Well, we just finished recording and I grabbed my phone to take it off of the stand. And you know, when it's on selfie mode and you look down and you see seven chins. Beautiful thing you've ever seen. (laughs) So I'm just laughing at Oh, that is the worst. You're like, why is this on (laughs) selfie mode and looking upwards is the worst angle ever. Oh my gosh. Beautiful. (laughs) Okay. Anyways. Hello. How are you? Hi. Good. Don't worry. (laughs) No one looks attractive at that angle. It's not you. Okay. Thanks. Uh, (laughs) All right, friends. We have an awesome guest for you today. We have Dr. Amatma coming on. Um, Before we dive into a little bit more about the episode, we have to do our pop quiz question. Lauren, ding, ding, ding. What is one thing that you will change after listening to this episode or after recording this episode? Oh, I'm going to go get new labs on day three of my cycle. Nice. I think I'm yeah. going to do the same thing. Which will be much more meaningful to our listeners after you hear the episode. But she yes. talked a lot about timing and specificity of labs because without the specificity and consistency, you can tell so many different narratives and pictures based off of what you're seeing and testing. So doing your clean biohacking experiments is very valuable. That's yes. Yeah. I'm looking forward to doing that. A retest. Okay, great. I think I'm going to do that too. And so today we were talking about fertility. So like Lauren said, you'll hear more about the lab testing, but we, I mean, she's an incredible expert on fertility. And I think just the importance of asking the questions and doing a deeper dive, if you are struggling with any fertility issues and, you know, I share a little bit about my journey through it, how there was just like this diagnosis of, we don't know what's wrong with you, go do IVF. And it was like, how is that my only option? And so she comes from this holistic perspective where there's so many things, you know, in the lifestyle category and lab testing and supplements and diet, you know, that we really need to be looking at. And I actually heard her speak in December. And one thing that we ran out of time today, we didn't get to get to this, but she has the four R's for fertility reveal, remove, rebalance, and receive. Um, I think we're going to have her back on. Maybe we can dive deeper into that, but I love that she has this four-step protocol to optimize fertility. And it's not just for people that are struggling with infertility. It's even if you're fertile, how do you have the healthiest baby possible? So I think that's where a lot of the biohacking can come in, really taking your fertility to the next level. Mm -hmm. All right. So discussing the miraculous nature of actually conceiving, it takes so many successful steps. And I thought her comment about 
the feedback she gets from podcasts, a lot of people say, oh my gosh, it is possible because I think the narrative is what you said. There's only one option. It's only IVF or bust, and there's no talk about environments or nutrition. So she really is optimistic in this way. She's a truth seeker and she asks the right questions and she will hold your hand through this journey to see what's possible. And I think that's really, really important to keep optimism because I think there's always another there's always another way. There's always more questions that we can ask. And if you're getting a no from your doctor, if you're getting gaslit, if you feel stuck, know that there is most likely something that has not been asked or answered. And so she does that just so beautifully. But I, I love the optimistic nature of it, that there is possibility here. Yeah. And she just has such great light energy. She mm-hmm. really brings like the serious discussion to have so much joy. And I appreciate her approach to that. Yeah. All right. Um, so a little bit more about Dr. Amatma. She is a licensed naturopathic doctor for 15 years, also board certifications in naturopathic endocrinology. She is the host of Egg Meat Sperm podcast. She is the best-selling author of two books, Fertility Secrets and Infertility, Struggle Secrets and Successes. She has numerous awards, including Best Naturopathic Medicine Doctor and Top Women in Medicine Doctor. She has been interviewed on hundreds of podcasts and now luckily our podcast. She's also been recognized as the holistic fertility expert on ABC, Fox, CBS, and other news channels. And she has trained hundreds of practitioners around the world in holistic approaches to fertility. And she has certified top doctors in fertile foundation system. And she's the creator of fertile foundations supplements, a line of research driven nutrients to support your fertility journey amazing background. She's doing such great work. And I would definitely recommend checking out, check out her podcast, check out her Instagram and TikTok. She's doing so many great educational uh, videos and tips there. I think you'll really enjoy learning more from her. Incredible. All right, let's do it. All right. Welcome Dr. Amatma to the biohacker babes. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so psyched to be here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was lucky enough to hear you speak at A4M in December. So I've been kind of like counting the days since then to have you on the show. Um, Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. It was such a great lecture all about what we're talking about today, fertility and infertility to some extent. But I'm excited to share all that with our listeners today. I think this is really an exciting topic. There's so much unknown, and I'm hoping that we can break down a lot of like the myths and misconceptions around that and some practical tips for people, because whether you're looking to get pregnant today or in 10 years from now, there's a lot of things you can do, right? Lifestyle, lab testing, things like that. And I wasn't going to share this right now, but I I will quickly put this in because I think this is helpful for longtime listeners of the show. They've probably heard my story before, but I did go through some infertility stuff about 11 years ago. To make a long story short, the doctor said, there's nothing wrong with you. It's unexplained. Your only option is IVF. Mm. And I said, what about nutrition? What about acupuncture? And the doctor said, none of that will help. It's just bad luck. She said, it wasn't even genetics. It was just bad luck. And so that kind of put me down this rabbit hole of researching all of this alternative medicine, holistic medicine options, whatever you want to call it for fertility. So I'm excited to learn more from you today. And um, I think to kick it off, maybe what do you think is like one of the biggest misconceptions or myths around infertility, um, especially with it being on the rise in the U.S.? Yeah, I think there's a few misconceptions that I feel like I hear about again and again. One is around this like age cliff at 35, right? So fertility is going to suddenly drop off of cliff. Sorry, good luck. Sucks for you. Um, And from 
everything that I have researched that's actually not true. So um, that myth came out of the 1800s in France, where they were noticing in Catholic churches that women weren't bringing their children in to get baptized after they were 35. So churches assumed that 35 is the point at which women no longer can have children. Now, 1800s France, right there is a big problem. (laughs) And then second of all, like, who just because I choose not to doesn't mean I can't. So like, who are you to tell me that I can't? Um, That is one of the biggest myths. And I feel like it frames so much of the conversation that we're having in fertility. So when we think about like, oh, fertility is going to drop off of a cliff, then you're taking very different actions based on that assumption that fertility is going to be gone at 35. If you're in your 30s or 25 and your doctor says, hey, you should freeze your eggs. And you're like, well, I have the money and I have a job that's like willing to pay for my egg freezing. Maybe I should just freeze my eggs. Great. Freeze your eggs. But did you absolutely need to, A? And then B, like, if you froze your eggs, that's a good insurance policy. But in reality, like not all of those eggs are going to turn into a possible baby. 1% of eggs turn into babies. And part of that is like, they're not being utilized. People, women didn't end up needing them, et cetera, et cetera. But you're putting your eggs on ice with the hope that you can one day use them and you may get to 40, 45. You're like, hey, ready to use those eggs on ice. And they're like, okay, let's see what fertilizes. And you go from like, 20 eggs to all of a sudden you don't have that many embryos and you're like, wait, what the, like, this was my insurance policy. I was supposed to be able to have a child because my eggs were on ice. So it really doesn't account for all of the other things that go into making babies, right? So eggs are only one small component of that. Egg quality is going to be a big issue and we don't have a measure for egg quality. So when women freeze their eggs. They're not advised on what to do before freezing their eggs. They're not advised on what are the things to set up so that the eggs that you freeze can actually one day turn into a possible baby. And B, you have the sperm issues, right? And we, I know we're going to get into that a little bit. And then we have really like all of the changes that happen in our bodies or how we treat our bodies for those 10, 15, 20 years that we're waiting to have children is going to very much determine the outcome of those eggs being used and are they actually gonna implant. So there's just so many factors that I think, like this small decision to freeze eggs and we think like, oh, I'm good, I've frozen my eggs, I can live the life that I always wanted to live. I'm gonna travel and I'm gonna drink like crazy and I'm gonna party. And suddenly I'm 40 and I'm like, oh, I'm ready for those eggs. And unfortunately, it doesn't always go as planned. So and that's not to say you shouldn't freeze your eggs. I'm pro freezing eggs. It's just in what way are you freezing your eggs? And what are you doing before that process and after to take care of yourself and essentially like everything that you guys talk about, right? Like biohacking, kind of like living that optimal life state all the time so that when you are ready to use those eggs, you can use them. Yeah. 
Yeah. Wow. It's such an amazing <laughs> yeah. jumping off point. It's just so interesting that the idea of freezing eggs and having the resources to do so is almost, it almost fits into the magic pill category. It was like, sure, you could do that. And maybe that's going to be a good solution, but how do we optimize and create the proper environment? And it almost sounds like we need to think about terrain theory and our entire <laughs> being that maybe these eggs are going to come back into, or how are we um, lengthening the longevity of the eggs? So what do you find is the biggest variable here? Is it managing stress, downregulation, self-care? Is it avoiding plastics? I guess how big <laughs> is the sperm conversation? Oh, all of it. It's all of it. And it's funny when it comes to fertility, it's like there are just so many factors and they're they can all be playing a teeny tiny role in why this is not happening for you, whether it's egg freezing or you're trying to get pregnant now, if it's not happening, it's not just a one size fits all like, oh, must be egg quality instantly, right? Uh, instead of like, actually your stress impacts, your toxin load impacts, your lifestyle impacts what you eat, what you don't eat. Uh, I feel like there are so many things that are all equally contributing to whether or not this is happening for you. And in our practice, what we've seen a lot is we're really trying to figure out what are the key levers for each couple. If we flip this, then we're going to get a very big return on investment, if we want to call it that. And it, like we can be somewhat strategic about it because can be overwhelming to be like, hey, you're going to change your diet and you're going to change your lifestyle. And you're going to remove every single thing you use in your house. And, you know, like it, it can just be a lot. And then so, you're more stressed. We can't do all of the yeah. things all the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we really want to make it simple enough where we can say, okay, for you, the most important thing right now is for you to get enough sleep and eat more vegetables period. Like, let's just start very, very, very basic. And a lot of it, like most of the time, our people come back within three weeks, they're like, wow, I have so much more energy. I'm sleeping better. I'm like all these things that I didn't think were even bad to begin with now are better. So is that a good thing? And I'm like, yeah, that's great. Like, yeah, we should be celebrating <laughs> yeah. every yeah. single win along this journey. And yeah. that's the benefit of the holistic approach. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Everything else starts to fall in place. And, and that was one of the things that really frustrated me with like the unexplained infertility diagnosis. I'm like, there's some imbalance in the body, whether it's <laughs> me or my husband, there's something that's not... Yeah you know, matching up and making sense. And they were just like throwing their hands up at it. Yeah. But the and holistic approach is amazing. The thing with the thing with unexplained is always like, did we ask the right questions? And if we didn't ask the right questions, then we have what seems like unexplained. But if we start asking more questions, then we might get a very different answer. And we might be like, oh, well, actually... Like here's all the things and there's right. almost always something we can do. So yeah, I totally believe that. Yeah. It's so rare for us to be like, oh, well, you got this unexplained diagnosis and yeah, we actually agree. There's nothing you can do. 
<laughs> the number of right. times. I actually, we're working with this woman who has had nine years of infertility, unexplained diagnosis. And mm -hmm. she literally sat down with me for one hour. This is a $1 consult is what we call it. It's like the preliminary, like, let's just have a conversation and see what all is going on. So she had her hormones tested. Her FSH is like 12 or 13 at that point. And her estradiol was seven. <laughs> now, I know I'm talking like mumbo jumbo for <laughs> for most people, but FSH is follicle stimulating hormone and estradiol is kind of the hormone that stimulates ovulation to happen. And there's an optimal for both of these. So FSH, we want to see below seven, ideally, and estradiol, we want to see between 40 and 50. So I said to her, you've been struggling with this for nine years. I know you have more than one lab test. How many times has this estradiol been low? And she's like, oh, like every time. Is this low? My doctor said it was normal. And I was like, you pretty much don't have any estrogen, like none whatsoever. And she looked like 20 years older than she does now. And this is in oh, like wow. the five months that we've been working with her. So the reason wow. is estradiol is essentially your skin elasticity. It's your, it's how you feel. It's your energy. It's your sex drive. Like there's so many things we need estrogen, right? And estrogen's often the bad guy in the, even in the holistic world. But I think that yeah. in her case, I was like, this is why you're not getting pregnant. And she's like, well, what are we going to do about it? You're going to give me like an estrogen patch? I'm like, definitely not. <laughs> like, no way. Uh, and she's like, what kind of oh. band-aid are you going to give me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, uh, you're going to help me make my own estrogen? I'm like, yeah, we're going to figure out why you're not making estrogen and how to make more of it. The second, the outcome of that low estrogen that was directly affecting her fertility, let alone like estrogen we need to actually get pregnant, we needed to sustain a pregnancy, put that to the side. The other thing that estrogen does that is crucial is it supports the vaginal microbiome. So if you don't have enough estrogen in the body, your vaginal microbiome is probably gone to shit. And so we did the, the test on her and it comes back all like the massive array of microbes that should not be in your vagina, all present. And I was like, wow. so do you ever have any symptoms? Like, do you feel anything? She's like, no, no, I'm fine. And I was like, okay, so we have a lot happening in the vaginal area. We need to get rid of all these microbes. I really would suggest like the easiest is kind of like a, an antibiotic that's actually going to target all of those specific microbes. So we found the antibiotic that affects all of those microbes. And I said, go to your doctor and get her to prescribe because she lives in a state where I can't prescribe. So go get the, your doctor to prescribe this medication. And the doctor was like, huh, that's really bizarre. Like looked at the result I told her to take. And the doctor was like, okay, fine. I'll give this to you. No problem. <laughs> so she gives her the, pro the antibiotic. She takes it for the, the seven. I think this was a three day or five day. I can't remember exactly. And then we did, did the whole like rebalance protocol post antibiotic. And then we get her retest. And sure enough, all those microbes had gone away. And 
She's like, you know, I don't, I didn't really realize that this was a thing, but I was having all this like itching that I didn't realize was just like abnormal. I just thought it was me because this has been me for so many years. And I was like, I asked you if you had any symptoms. I literally (laughs) asked you. She's like, I just didn't know it was abnormal. It's like people get so used to certain things. I mean, I see this a lot with like gut issues. Like, oh, I didn't know it wasn't normal to run into the bathroom after I ate every time. Like, wait, what? Like people just start to accept things. Yeah. Yeah. That's wild. And and we just like don't pause to say, like, is this how it should be? And is there a reason that it's not? So Long story short with her, just to like close the loop, we've been working with her for like four, four months. I think she's coming upon five months and she got on the phone with us last week and I was like, wow, you look good. Like something's different. And she's like, oh my God, like these wrinkles are, are going backwards in time. And I was like, what? So we have done no hormone therapy. There's nothing that should tangibly change her skin. We don't work with skin. <laughs> this is not what we do. Yeah, it's a byproduct. Uh, yeah, it's just a yeah. byproduct of everything that we've been working on with her. And I was like, and her periods went from one day of like spotting to actually having a bleed for two days, three days. She's like, things are shifting. And I'm like, yeah, these are all the things that are kind of needing to line up to overcome this like, quote unquote, unexplained infertility. Cause I rarely want to buy that that is the answer. And in her case, there was a lot. It was she had so all of the estrogen stuff and they had um, some mold in their house and they are both gardeners for a living and they like run this gardening company. So and pesticides and pesticides herbicides. And, I, or- and we were like, you have to do the test. I'm sorry, you just have to do the toxin screen. And they were like, no, no, we don't need it. We only use natural. We're all natural. Our company's all natural. I was like, yeah, but what are people doing to their grass before you get there for landscaping? And they were like, well, we can't really control that anyway. And I was like, oh, no, we need to know exactly what toxins and how bad is it. And sure enough, it was pretty bad. And we were like, well, you're not going to obviously you're not going to quit your company. But if you are going to do this and you do want to have a child, we really need to talk about like, how do we limit your exposure? Can you wear some kind of mask? And then just be uber careful and then get your business to a point where you can get out of it where you're not doing the day-to-day like you don't have to be in the field mm. anymore yeah, um so she's she's That's like setting one. setting it all up she's like i'm on it like i got this oh, just tell me what to do i can like set up set up everything so yeah she's yeah, like it's been yeah. stressful but i've i've like almost got the people hired and <laughs> She's like working her way out of her business so that wow. she could not be in, in the field. Yeah. And so creating that value and, and sharing the educational resources to get people to understand the benefits there. Because I think in, environment is not something that is talked about enough. And I think with traditional uh, fertility doctors and just typical Western mm-hmm. doctors, we're yeah. not talking about environment and nutrition, but to think about what really changed in the last hundred years 
environment has gotten a lot more toxic. So can we even weigh like how much environment and nutrition are are affecting compared to one another? I assume for most people, just educating around these two big categories is a massive lever to pull. And then pulling the lab test to say like, oh, see, look, this is what it's doing. This is what is happening. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's those are really good levers to pull. And honestly, like the toxin piece is you don't have to wait. You don't have to wait till you're struggling with fertility. You don't need to wait till there's a diagnosis. It's generally helpful for everything to get rid of the toxins, right? Or to a certain extent, you may not get rid of everything. But people need a pain point sometimes, you know, it's hard mm -hmm. to really feel motivated to change until there's a real problem. Yeah. That's that's definitely true. Definitely true. But if we think about it as like future planning and you're like, what are the things I can do to like support my fertility 10 years down the line? This is a really low hanging fruit. Like just cut out the plastic, right? Like start with one thing, cut out the plastics, stop drinking plastic from, stop drinking water from plastic water bottles, Right? They like, make it so hard. They don't serve things. it in anything else. <laughs> <laughs> they, you know, um, metal is getting somewhat popular. Like I've seen these like metal water bottles that are also disposable. I'm not sure how I feel about it because still adding to mm. burden on the planet. You mean like the but... hard aluminum that says that it's reusable? Yes. Yeah. 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 Questionable, but obviously, like just kind of use your own bottle, right? Like fill up your water. Walk around with your bottle. Yes, you'll be weird. <laughs> it's I went to worth the... it. Actually, yeah. I was just in Costa Rica and I thought this was so cool. I didn't see any plastic water bottles anywhere. I think they had maybe, was it paper or glass? I think th- that you could buy and then you yes. could refill. But they That's had water good. stations like all over the resorts, the airport, even like the bathroom sink water they said was triple filtered, which uh-huh. is like, as an American felt so weird to fill up my water bottle from the bathroom sink in Costa Rica, in yeah. Costa Rica, but they it's said it's crazy. like the cleanest water, but no plastic. I didn't see any anywhere. That's amazing. amazing. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. I want to circle back to a little bit more about the labs. I know I've yeah. heard you say that you recommend doing, well, you said estradiol, um, FSH, LH, mm-hmm. um, AMH, I believe. AMH, yep. If you could talk a little bit more about those. And then I'm also curious, is there a specific day of the cycle that you recommend doing that? What's up, biohackers? What if I told you there was a supplement that is helpful for immune health, dental health, skin care, even can help our pets at times. And it has actually been used by many ancient civilizations for a long, long time. I am talking about silver today. It was actually used before the mainstream discovery and acceptance of antibiotics in the early 1900s. Uh, Silver was used in hospitals and is still used today. And we do want to be careful about the quality of silver. This is why we love the silver sold technology. It's not ionic. It's actually a true colloidal silver, which is a nanoparticle coated by a silver oxide. So what you really need to remember is that it's more effective and more efficient at lower parts per million. And the silver sold technology that we love is 10 to 33 parts per million versus there's other companies that have up to 3,000 parts per million. So the takeaway More is not always better. And the company that we really, really love to use is Silver Biotics because they have a wide range of products, like I said, for immune-specific, dental-specific, even the pet care, wound care, all of these great 
options. And the Silver Soul technology has a natural way of targeting invaders without the side effects, so using multiple modes of action on how it targets invaders. It uses the natural elements to kind of trick the body, so to speak, to kickstart the immune system. So especially through the winter, we love using the immune support. So if you want to check out these awesome products, you can head over to silverbiotics.com and make sure you use discount code biohackerbabes at checkout to save some money. All right, let's get back to the show. I want to circle back a little bit more about the labs. I know I've heard you say that you recommend doing, well, you said estradiol, um, FSH, LH, Mm -hmm. um, AMH, I believe. AMH, yep. If you could talk a little bit more about those. And then I'm also curious, is there a specific day of the cycle that you recommend doing that? Yes. Great question. So our hormones are shifting in every single part of our cycle and they're all fluctuating in different parts. So the, the baseline, the day in which or the few days in which we can capture them all at their lowest point where they're about equal is going to be day three so day three is the average day two or day four also work if you your lab is closed or whatever so somewhere between cycle day two and cycle day four a lot of women ask about what if i spot before i start my cycle does that count so just like the easy like way to remember this or kind of what we're telling our clients to do is if you have spotting that's heavy enough to use full protection like you need a pad a tampon a cup whatever then that's day one (laughs) if you did not need to use it or use it and it didn't end up being needed then that's not a day one if you like used something and you like have some sort of flow right it's not just spotting it's not just a few like drops um it's a full flow so that's day one and then you can count out day two day three day four uh and then yes we want to see those four as like the primary leading hormones fsh lh estradiol amh fsh we talked a little bit about follicle stimulating hormone that's basically the hormone from the brain to the ovaries saying hey develop some follicles. You already have all the follicles that you're going to have in your lifetime in the ovaries at birth, but every single month once you start uh, once you start ovulating and menstruating, you are going to need a signal to like start developing these follicles. Generally, you can get anywhere from like 10 to 20 follicles per cycle developed, and then the body chooses one follicle which is the queen follicle. And that is the follicle that will be released as ovulation. And then everything else just kind of fizzles away. <laughs> so the as these follicles are growing, they're giving a signal back to the brain to say, hey, I'm here, I'm growing. And that signal is estradiol. So estradiol will slowly start to rise, moving towards the cycle day 10, 11, 12. That's when estrogen is going to be starting to rise because Now the follicles have developed. They're sending this signal out back to the brain saying, hey, we're growing, we're good. And the brain knows that when that signal is coming stronger, it's becoming strong, then it can switch the production of FSH, stop that one and switch to LH, which is luteinizing hormone. And that's the hormone that needs to peak to get ovulation to happen. And that hormone only peaks for like two or three days. So 
estrogen, you have enough estrogen, estrogen peaks, and then that causes the LH to surge. And then 24 hours, 12 to 24 hours later, you drop the egg that is going to ovulate. And then once that egg is released, you have left in the the ovaries, the shell of that egg, it's called the corpus luteum. And the corpus luteum is going to produce progesterone for the second half of your cycle. So when that corpus luteum and egg is very, very healthy, you get pretty good levels of progesterone. And when that egg slash corpus luteum are not healthy, you're not going to get as much progesterone. So in a very simplistic way, progesterone in the latter half of your cycle, that one is going to need to be measured separately. So that's not a baseline hormone that we measure. Um, But you can do this evaluation where you can measure progesterone in the luteal phase to understand if you are making good quality eggs. Mostly they're using it to confirm ovulation, but depending on that level of progesterone, just using it as a signal or some kind of indicator of how is this egg quality, because outside of that, there isn't really any way to measure egg quality. The only way is going through IVF. And that's a very expensive test. (laughs) So yeah, don't want to find out that way. Yeah, Yeah. no, you don't want to have to, you don't have to go through that. So progesterone is kind of become my go-to to at least help us understand like, is this egg a good quality egg? Do we need to hyper focus on egg quality or actually are we okay? And do we need to focus somewhere else? So instead of using progesterone as a band-aid, which a lot of people do, it's like, oh, fertility here, get some progesterone. Instead of that, you can actually use it as a marker to better understand where are we starting? What is the egg quality we're starting at? And how can we optimize that more to get you to the best level possible for you? Hmm. So ideally, are you testing around day three and then doing a spot check progesterone around like day 21, 22? Is that the ideal to do two separate tests rather than... Because right before ovulation, estrogen rises, but progesterone has a little rise as well. Is there any benefit Mm -hmm. to trying to capture it all at once? Mm -mm, No. So because the the day three hormones for the the four hormones that we were talking about, FSH, LH, estradiol, AMH, those are going to be optimally measured on day three. Progesterone is optimally measured seven days post ovulation. And in general, for an average cycle where the woman ovulates right on cycle day 14, that would be cycle day 21. But there are plenty of women that are not ovulating on cycle day 14. So in those cases, you really have to figure out when did she ovulate and count the seven days from that to get the peak progesterone. So you just have to know you have like... For us, we're using it in the latter part of our work together with clients to assess egg quality, but we won't do it up front because most of the time they're probably ovulating at the wrong time. Their hormones are often out of whack. And if they're ovulating like cycle day 8, 9, 10, it's kind of on the early side. And sure, we can measure progesterone on cycle day 17 to get a baseline. But my presumption is that 
when we address all of the underlying things, the ovulation date is going to change <laughs> and automatically the progesterone is going to change. So we don't necessarily measure right away. We'll usually wait like a month, two months, three months till we have a really good sense of like, okay, this is when you're ovulating. This is a good point for you to be ovulating. Let's see what your progesterone looks like. And so complicated. And I find a lot of doctors don't pay attention to day of cycle. I mean, I haven't been through gosh. fertility testing, but just general physicians and practitioners I've worked with comparing labs. They're like, yeah. oh, you were this on this last test and now you're this. I'm like, did you ask me where I am in my cycle? Certainly not. <laughs> No. So there's no relativity. There's nothing to compare to. Right. So there's nothing that's not taken into consideration. No consistency. And this happens all the time with estrogen. I see these like hormone levels where it's like 300, 382. And I'm like, this couldn't possibly be a cycle day three. If it is, we're going to have lots of issues. Yeah, that's So I write cycle. back and I'm like, what day was this taken? Are you sure this was a day three? And they're like, Actually, day no, 11. I think it was like, yeah, I think it was like day 11, day 15. Oh. And I'm like, okay, all right, that's why. And let's not, let's just not take this into account because yeah. you could have estradiol of 382 and that could relatively be normal for you. It still depends, but it could be normal. Whereas on day three, if that number was 100, then we would have lots of issues. So it's really about like how we're measuring it and when we're measuring it is almost as important as the result. And this is what I yeah. mean about like asking the right questions, right? And if your practitioners are not asking you these things, there's just no way for them to really understand what is happening. Like where or are how you? To proceed. Yeah. Yeah. And, so and personal. for for doctors who don't measure or who don't necessarily do hormones all the time, it's like they're going off of follicular estradiol normal between five and 250 or something crazy, right? And it's like, well, <laughs> which is it? Is it five or is it 250? Oh my like, gosh, wide range. Yeah. Football yeah. <laughs> field. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What What are your thoughts on, on testing uh, basal body temperature throughout the month? Do you find that really helpful like to get yes. an overview? Oh, yes. I love BBC charting. <sighs> Shoot. I totally lost my train of thought. Um, uh, oh, hi. hi. Hi, biohackers. Do you have trouble recalling names, dates, or where you left things? Maybe you're finding it difficult to focus during the day or notice yourself zoning out when you're trying to complete a task. If you answered yes to any of these questions, then come follow me because I am on a quest to optimize my brain health. So Newtopia, a bi-optimizers company, has created a brand new one-of-a-kind product called Kala Genius. I am so obsessed with that name. Kala Genius is a powder blend of five potent superfoods, collagen, and 1.2 pounds of four different concentrated mushrooms, including lion's mane, reishi, cordyceps, and chaga. This cutting-edge blend is a powerful way to rebuild your brain and rewire it for maximum energy, focus, and performance in less than 30 days. When you take a serving of Kala Genius, you can expect to feel calm, alert, and energized. Your ability to memorize and recall information will improve. I can certainly feel a difference from when I take it and when I don't. Additionally, you'll get a hefty dose of antioxidants for immune support and overall health. 
Color Genius is really delicious. It's sweetened with a little bit of stevia and tastes like a rich chocolate elixir that I love to mix into my smoothies, protein shakes, overnight oats, and even my morning grass-fed Greek yogurt. I find it's really hard to find a potent superfood and supplement that actually tastes really delicious, but Collagenius has done it. If you feel like your brain could use a little boost, we do not want you to miss out on this brain-boosting, amazing new product. And there's really no risk to try it because you're protected by a 365-day full money-back guarantee. That is how confident by optimizers feels about what they've created. For an exclusive offer for our listeners, go to newtopia.com backslash biohackerbabesgenius and use the code biohackerbabes10 during checkout to save 10%. All right, brain, I think we're back on track. Let's get back to the show. Um, oh, okay. We're actually in the middle of doing a study to understand how BBT charting can predictably help um, understand hormones. So outside of the Turkish traditional, like the BBT chart tells you when you ovulated, right? Like that's how everyone is using it so far. But I really think that there is an application for understanding BBT chart in the context of all of your hormones. So you can see reflected in your temperature charts, everything from estrogen to FSH to LH to gut health to stress, thyroid, adrenals, like you can grab all of that information from a BBT chart if you know how to interpret it. Wow. Tell us more. I know. Beyond just the typical uh, one degree below and then the dip above. Yes. What are some global things we could look at if we're using something like an aura ring or doing a thermometer? Yeah. So I'm still trying to figure it out with the aura ring. I'm not sure. Like I'm using it. Um, I'm trying to figure out if the aura ring is as accurate because all of the research papers that I've read on BBT charting it are stating the fact that your BBT chart, in order to be accurate, needs to be a core body temperature. And the core body temperature is only gatherable in your torso, back of the neck, arms, under the armpit, right? Mm. So mm. fingers are a little bit trickier. <laughs> and I'm not totally, sh- I'm not saying, I'm not shitting on it just yet. <laughs> That's fair. Um, okay. I'm, I'm like holding my breath because, oh my God, it would be so sweet to be like, oh yeah, I could just rock the aura ring and know exactly accurately BBT fluctuations. But because we're using BBT to kind of interpret so much from just this like temperature tracking, it is too much pressure to like get it from a distal extremity and expect it to be accurate enough to like detect the tiny fluxes. So we make all of our people wear a temp drop, which is like a a wearable device that you can go to sleep with. It's like an armband. Um, It's relatively comfortable. It's easy to use. They don't have to like remember to measure their temps. Um, Yeah, that sounds easy enough. Yeah. And we'll like, we gift it as part of our program. So there's, there's no reason you should not be using this. Um, Amazing. Very cool. And, and then in terms of your question, Lauren, as to like, what is the variations that we're looking at? So for 
this is like super nuanced and it, it takes like looking at a lot of temps to actually know how to figure out this, these patterns. But in general, let's assume that you're looking at a chart and the person has this half a degree to degree rise that is like confirming ovulation and then the temperature stays high for the rest of that cycle. That's a really good confirmation of progesterone levels. Now, if there is a confirmed ovulation in the luteal phase, but you're looking at the luteal phase and you see these like up and down, up and down temperature fluctuations, more likely than not, this person has got inflammation. So you basically like we look at this and we're like, did you fall off your diet? And they're like, oh, my God, how did you know? I swear I tried to do my best. And I'm like, it's OK. We're good. Like You're a fine. lie detector. <laughs> but you fell off of your diet. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, uh, so the microbiome is trying to detoxify and just keep up with a toxic load? No, because progesterone is so highly tuned in to nutrient levels and whether or not you're getting enough complex carbohydrates to make progesterone. Um, so all these like limiting diets that take people off of complex carbs, really bad for your hormones. Um, yeah. But yeah. Uh, the inflammation will actually create this like fluxing temperature in your core body temperature. So it's a stressor. I imagine. It's a stress. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. So that's that's the gut stuff in the luteal phase. In the follicular phase, cool. we would see the same kind of up and down flux. But the in that phase, it's actually more correlating to FSH and estradiol fluctuations. So estradiol is cooling, FSH is warming. So if you have high temperatures in your follicular phase, almost always you have too much FSH in relationship to estradiol. So they're not like able to balance each other. And then often what you'll see in perimenopausal women is the FSH and estradiol start to flux. So FSH and estrogen are kind of fighting with each other to neutralize the core body temperature. So FSH will grab it up and then estrogen goes up and the FSH like temperature goes down and then F like the body's like, no, 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 but we still don't have enough eggs. So then more FSH. So they're doing this fight and it's so beautiful to see it on a temperature chart. Yeah, this is pretty consistent with perimenopause. So here, like, we just need a very extreme strategy to get this all to click into place. Interesting. It doesn't feel very beautiful. <laughs> no, it does not. <laughs> I can't wait it to hear not. what you're doing to make them feel better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I want to go mean, look at my temperatures now. I'm so curious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if you're seeing these patterns, I think the key is you absolutely have to have an accurate device and if you're using a thermometer under the tongue, it needs to be that you're measuring it every single day at the same time. So okay. if you're like, hey, I like to sleep in on the weekends, don't use a, a manual temperature thermometer because you're not going to sleep in on the weekends. <laughs> like yeah. you're going to need to take your temperature every single day. The arm one yeah. you mentioned, is that something people can buy over yes. the counter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. You can buy it over the counter. Um, it's a company called Temp Drop. I do some educational stuff with them as well. So um, 
if they reach out, I can give that give you like a discount code for that as well. Um, okay, great. Yeah, we can yeah. share cool. that with everyone. I would love to get my hands on one of those. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I am yeah. happy to send one to you guys. Yeah. Cool. Um, um, what are some reasons for higher FSH or that imbalance in in relation to the estrogen or in relation to the LH? What would drive that higher? Uh, what drives the FSH higher? So FSH is an interesting one. There's a couple of things. Stress in and of itself will spike FSH. Usually the FSH will spike to crazy high levels if it's acute stress. So for example, if someone comes in, remember I said FSH below seven is optimal. Mm -hmm. The worst level I've ever seen was 160. (laughs) This woman came in, she was 43 years old. Um, her FSH was 160 and her doctors had written her off. They're like, sorry, there's just no way you're going to have a child because you are in menopause. This is not perimenopause. This is not some weird thing. You're in menopause. And sorry, this is not a thing. And I'm looking at her like, but your AMH is 2.5 at 43. That's really rare. FAMH we didn't talk about yet, but AMH above 1.06 is considered great. Um, it dec- generally declines with age. There's a whole like formula you can use to assess AMH based on your age. So easy for us to right now just say like above 1.06 is great. Let's just leave it at that. Um, we use more analysis on the back end, but it's way too complex. But her AMH at 43 was 2.5 which an average 43-year-old is going to have an AMH like maybe 0.8, maybe 0.5. So 2.5 is extremely great. So I'm looking at her and this was, this is now literally like nine, 10 years ago. So I'd never seen something like this. And I was like, I don't know, but something telling me like, this is not right. So I'm like, tell me about stress. And she starts crying. And she's like, for the last three years, I've been through it. And she's telling me all the different stressors that she's had over the last three years. And I was like, yeah, that's pretty stressful. So let's Mm. figure out if stress is the driver of this FSH. So we started supporting her adrenals, thyroid, kind of like the underlying stuff, getting that back online. Her gut health, like she had probably like 20 different food sensitivities. This <laughs> is like, okay, gut inflammation is off the charts. Once we started addressing all of it, I, I was just like retesting her FSH. And sure enough, within like two months, her FSH went down to a 14. So she is now out of menopause <laughs> because 20, wow. above 20 is menopause. So effectively out of menopause (laughs) and then a few more months and her FSH went down to like a nine and I was like, okay, you're at a really good place and we could keep going. We can keep supporting you and you could probably have a baby naturally, but I know you guys are like on a clock and you want to have two kids. Like this is probably a good time to go back to that IVF clinic. So she goes back to the clinic they retrieve her eggs. They got like amazing numbers of eggs. She w- she got pregnant within the first transfer. And then she had like another 10 embryos on ice to have 
baby number two, which she did at like 45. So uh, like for someone to have that much shift to go from like menopause to all of a sudden you're not in menopause. But I think the key that I really want to make sure I get across is the FSH was in the hundreds, right? Like way above a hundred. When FSH is like 20, 21, 22, it's correlated to age. And it also has LH rising steadily alongside of it. It probably is true menopause. In her case, it was very, very different because the numbers didn't all sync. And that's partly why I was like, okay, let's like try this crazy thing that I'm thinking and see what happens. And since then, we've had so many women that are in the same boat told they're in menopause. FSH is crazy high and they're like early 40s or 30s sometimes. And you're like, you can't be in menopause. That seems really crazy. And sure enough, for most of them, if their AMH was good and their FSH was crazy high, we're able to reverse it and get them not in quote unquote, not in menopause. It's it's really the true menopause picture when it's like in the 20s, the FSH is in the 20s. It's like, okay, you probably are in menopause. Mm. It's like you're 46, 47, 48. At that point, there's not much we can do. But for these outliers that are told they're in menopause, but when you look at FSH from a slightly different lens, you have a very different picture of what might be going on. So I think one of the big, big, big drivers is uh, stress. The second um, driver is ovarian depletion. So that's where the reserve of the number of follicles in the eggs, in the ovaries, is has declined to the point where it's really like putting a stressor on the body and the brain is kind of yelling at the ovary like, why aren't you doing what I'm telling you to do? Just push out the egg, damn it. <laughs> and the ovaries like, I can only do so much. Like I don't got a lot to Give work with here. <laughs> yeah. So it's really that dynamic can push FSH high. And in those cases, the FSH is going to be high, but it's still going to be below 20. So if it's like that mild like stress that's coming from the ovary not responding, there's still a possibility that we can reverse it and we can like have a pretty good outcome with it. So it's not always reversible, I guess, is the takeaway for for people listening. Because like every time I do these episodes, people will reach out and be like, oh, can you help me? I'm 47 and my FSH is 22. And I'm like, yeah, I can't. Like there's just some things that we can't do. Um, but sure. there but I are think more people think it's not possible. So opening yes. up that possibility for some people yes. is really valuable. Yes. And yeah. to really think about like these hormones aren't in a silo, like they're not acting on their own. They are hormones are in essence reflections and responses to whatever is else is going on in the body. Mm-hmm. So yeah. 
If you have gut inflammation, is that a stressor? If you have mold in your house, is that a stressor? If you like, we think of stress as like all of the things that are in our, our environment, our job, our kid, our husband, whatever. But often the stress is physiological and that too is going to have a very similar response and a very similar track record to someone who is experiencing all of the trauma in life, right? Um, right, yeah. And, still stress, yeah. Right, yeah. So it's it's still worth looking at. It's still worth considering. But remembering that, like, there are the people that are in these, like, weird situations hormonally that we can look at and be like, oh, yeah, we can work with that. That's fine. <laughs> and then other people that were like, eesh, sorry, like, this is not really going to be a good fit. Yeah. And then other people that were like, I don't know, let's try and see what happens. And that's doesn't hurt I, to try. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this this woman that I was talking about, like she's the first person that I had seen with this like crazy FSH. And I was like, I don't know, like everything in my bones is saying something is off here and you're not in true menopause. And she was cycling like things were really off, just like weird. And I was like, yeah. we really just have to try. And I don't know what's possible for you. And yeah. God bless her and her husband that were like, okay, we're crazy enough. Let's try this. <laughs> we don't have anything to lose at this point. Yeah. So you're like um, a detective really <laughs> trying to put the pieces together. Yeah. 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 And amazing yeah. that you were willing to say, I don't know, but we can hold hands and do this together. I think a lot of the non-answers or the unexplained is because people are not willing to go, even enter into that conversation of unknowns and mm -hmm. experimental things, which I understand <laughs> there's, you know, some liability there, but when it's lifestyle, behavioral nutrition, why not? Why yeah. Not try? Yeah, absolutely. Like it's only going to make your life better regardless, right? Like no one right. leaves with like, oh yeah, I have more gut issues than when I came in, <laughs> right? Like it's not possible. I'm more stressed. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Well, I, I know we're getting uh, close to the end of our time. I still have so many more questions no. for you though. Um, <laughs> I would love to just do a quick chat about the male side and oh, we've yeah, talked a lot about absolutely. testing for women mm -hmm. um for men like when when is it time for them to get tested what are you looking at is it really just sperm count and motility more than that oh, great question so uh for men get tested as soon as possible and there are too many times that i've talked to men that are like either like oh i already had a child so i'm good and I'm like, how old is your child? They're like, oh, he's like 18. I'm like, yeah, a lot of shit has changed in your body since you were 18. <laughs> so yeah. sperm literally are flipping over every four months. So unlike ovaries and eggs where we just have what we have at birth, sperm are actively being created and they're new every four months. So you could have had great fertility and great sperm health when you were 18 years ago, of course. Um, but you could have had better sperm four months ago than you do now. So they're drastically changing. And if you have had a major life change, diet, lifestyle, you stop smoking, 
I hope all guys stop smoking. <laughs> I hope and everyone in the world stops seriously, smoking. Seriously, <laughs> like, why is that still a thing? How? I know, <laughs> a thing. Alcohol, reduce alcohol, if not eliminate. Yes. Like, if you make any significant change in one way, in one direction or the other, you should have your sperm tested. And then... When you're looking at sperm, you really want to look at count motility and morphology. And there are too many labs out there. If you don't ask, they won't do morphology. So that's unfortunate because morphology is probably the biggest issue and the biggest factor when it comes to diet and lifestyle. So mm. that the morphology is essentially how normal, quote unquote, are the heads and the heads of the sperm. There's a head and a tail. The heads of the sperm break through the protective barrier called the zona pellucida on the egg that is ovulated in order to fertilize it. And there are hundreds of these sperm like make it to the egg there. And then it's a race for like who can beat everybody else. But they have to have good head morphology to actually like have all the right enzymes to break through that protective layer. So if they don't, if they have abnormal sperm morphology, it's not happening. Fertilization is probably not going to happen. So, and I've heard, <laughs> this was awesome. I, one of these clients that we talked to, I think it was this week, they said, oh, we have zero sperm morphology, meaning every single sperm is abnormal. But the doctor said, we can still get pregnant. And we can still get pregnant naturally. And I'm looking at them like, that is the biggest crock of shit I've ever heard. I am sorry for the language, but that is no, just please. not possible. <laughs> like, not happening. Sorry. Yeah, um, and they were like, wait, but why? And I'm like, well, so just think about the physiology. We're made for survival of the fittest. This is like, fertility is the core essence of survival of the fittest and the sperm are at a race with all of the other sperm in there to break through this protective layer but the egg is basically saying you can't break through this layer if you're not at a mediocre level of health to actually produce <laughs> a good child good healthy child you're so, not exercising and eating your greens. You're not coming in. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it yeah. sounds like a really good protective mechanism of the body. Exactly. Yeah, because we want healthy humans, right? Like we don't want to have humans that have all types of possible issues. And the the basic that the egg does for protection actually keeps us from the hundreds of thousands of genetic disorders that are possible if we didn't have that protective layer. So mm -hmm. it's basically like the egg is doing a really important job, which is don't fertilize me if you're not ready to have a healthy baby. <laughs> and and then yeah. the sperm are like, well, we don't know what we're doing. We don't know what direction to go, but we made it. And then we're going to like break through no matter what. You just, it's like with 0% morphology, Sorry, it's not happening. So yeah, that's really it's, an amazing uh, journey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a miracle that we have children, right? Like yeah. when I first heard and like listened to embryology classes in medical school, I was just like, 
Wow. Like it is an absolute miracle that we have humans on this planet because there are so many steps to the point where actual conception happens. And Mm -hmm. it is incredible. And there's so many like protective mechanisms that we have to not have a million babies. But unfortunately, like we have the few chances that we have for our bodies to like make it happen are challenged by toxins and stress and the lifestyle and the crappy food that we eat and like so many layers that are all playing a role in how easy is it to maximize the few chances that we have to make this a reality. Right. And I remember like in middle school, you know, the, the fear of, you know, just look at a boy and you'll get pregnant kind of thing. But when you really Mm -hmm. know what's happening, you're like, oh my gosh, the timing and all the steps. And, and then even after conception, the nine months of magic that's happening. I mean, it is incredible. And, and the whole, I mean, I've never miscarried. I'm, I'm sure that's insanely hard to go through, but my understanding is quite often that is the body again, protecting itself saying like, this will not be a healthy child, correct? Sometimes. Sometimes sometimes it's the body's protective mechanism. And that's a a good thing when that happens, right? It's not good to have to go through a miscarriage, but it's a really good good thing to like the body took care of what it thought was going to be a not so healthy pregnancy. But there are unfortunately a lot of like hidden factors that can contribute to pregnancy loss that's not a necessity. So in men specifically, men who have blood sugar imbalances, homocysteine, like high homocysteine levels, they have hypertension, high cholesterol, liver enzymes, like all of those things being out of whack are enough to impact the sperm in a way that's not visible on a semen analysis. So We talk about like, yes, absolutely do the semen analysis. That's the bare minimum that you can do to create a healthy family. But outside of that, like what have you been tested on all of these other markers that indicate whether or not you are going to help uh, your partner carry to term? And Mm -hmm. it's, it's unfortunate because it's not like the sperm are not necessarily abnormal. So it's not being detected on the test, but there's lots of research data that's like, if you have hyperhomocysteinemia, high homocysteine levels, the rate of pregnancy loss in your partner shoots up with the increase in homocysteine. So the higher your homocysteine gets on the male side, the higher the chances of a pregnancy loss on the female side. So mm. this wow, this is important. like, I was crazy when I was talking about this 10, 12 years ago. I was like, I swear this is what we see. And it's like 80, 90% of the time we had these like recurrent pregnancy loss women. And they were like, it's me, it's me, it's me. And I'm like, let's test the guys. And repeatedly, it would be like, either they had high homocysteine or high blood sugar or high insulin. And 80 to 90% of the time, when we address those things, we did not do anything for the women. We also optimize them. But 
most of the time, I feel like that was a recurrent pattern. It was always these markers that were elevated in the guys. And I was like, I think this has something to do with the pregnancy outcomes. I swear, this is mm. like, it's just really bizarre that we keep testing these guys and all of them have the same issues when the woman has had a loss. And yeah. it's now like 10 years later, this is three years ago, these studies came out, hyperhomocysteinemia linked to pregnancy loss, high blood sugar levels linked to pregnancy loss, high insulin linked to pregnancy loss. And I was like, okay, so it wasn't crazy. <laughs> Just like seeing patterns yeah. and being like, that's weird. The last guy that the woman had had a repeated loss also had the same labs. Oh, and the guy before that and the guy before that. And then you're like, wait, this can't be a fluke. Like this is. Yeah, definitely trends happening there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and so interesting because most labs don't test homocysteine unless you specifically ask for it. Most labs don't test insulin. We get fasting <laughs> glucose, such a small picture. It, that's, yeah. it makes a lot of sense to me. So hopefully more physicians will include that in basic blood chem. Anything yeah. else you would test? And I guess on, on the topic of homocysteine, is it a poor methylation cycle or are guys just not eating their dark leafy greens or is it inflammation <laughs> from other environmental factors? Can yeah. you pinpoint one thing? Maybe not. It's, um, I think the, the dark leafy greens are definitely a component, right? Most of these guys were like, what vegetables? Like, do I have to? <laughs> Uh, yes, you have to. I eat my <laughs> potatoes. <It's a laughs> potatoes vegetable. are great, but they're not going to give you any folate. <laughs> There's no folate. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think outside of that, it's it is poor methylation cycles, and when we so the second layer of testing after they do the basic blood work would be like, okay, you have high homocysteine. Now we decide should we do an epigenetic panel where we test single nucleotide polymorphisms, the SNPs, to understand like where in these pathways is your body not prone to working well. And, and then we can like neutrify in the right ways to get those pathways to work again. So the epigenetics piece is really cool. And, and there's a lot that we can do with it. But the physical outcome of it is your homocysteine should go down. So if we've done all the work that we need to, then homocysteine goes back down because it's just a byproduct of the methylation pathway gone awry. So, yeah. And I think, protecting the body, right? Yeah. It's an inflammatory <laughs> response. It's like, pay attention. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. Gosh, yep. yeah. That's really fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. It just shows how much other lab testing really should be done in a full fertility workup. Versus yeah. Just and and like, for motility done. Yeah. And and it's unfortunate because especially on the guy's side, most doctors only look at the semen analysis. And most of the time, like these inflammatory markers, methylation, blood sugar, like they're not you're not going to see those in the semen assay. Hmm. So it's going to be like you're only going to see it if you do the blood work you're not gonna you're gonna have totally normal or even optimal sperm like most of these guys that we've tested they come in and like oh my doctor said my sperm were great and i'm like the doctor says that to everyone show me and i'll look at it and i'm like actually these are great okay i'm gonna shut up now but no one ever went a layer deeper so 
even if they had great sperm, it's like, well, but what's what else is happening in your body? Because there's definitely something. And like majority of the time with pregnancy loss, I think it's so avoidable if we do the work on the guy's side or before they get pregnant again. Yeah. Yeah. I will say louder (laughs) (laughs) with my husband's results. We actually, I mean, this was 10 years ago. We went to three different fertility centers and one said sperm count motility. We're low. You have to do IVF. The other one said the numbers look great. Just keep doing what you're doing. You'll get pregnant naturally. And then the other one was like, everything looks good, but let's do some more labs. It's so interesting that same test in three totally different (laughs) approaches and opinions. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, (laughs) it's all about the questions your practitioners are asking, right? Right. It comes back back to that. Like who's asking the savvy questions so that you can get the answer to what's really happening. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, we're so appreciative of your work being a a seeker of answers and, um, continuing to ask more and more questions. I just think that's so invaluable and helpful in the holistic and the biohacking world. Asking more questions typically mm-hmm. <laughs> produces a, a little more progress than not. So thank you so much. This yeah. is so invaluable. And I learned so much today before we wrap up, we would like to ask for one final piece of advice, something that our listeners can start doing today, men or women, men and women. Mm-hmm. What can they do today to optimize fertility? Or if you just want to go generally health, no, you're feeling like super we can jazzed do, about. We can totally do optimized fertility. So I know you guys are into biohacking. So my best advice is to biohack your sleep. And that means blue light filter blocking glasses if you're on screens or watching TV or whatever at night. Like do the things that will get your body producing melatonin because melatonin is the least talked about, but the best antioxidant for fertility. The caveat is your body needs to produce it. So yes, it can work somewhat like an antioxidant if you're taking it for women. Men should not take melatonin if they're working on fertility. But getting your body to produce its own melatonin is the best thing that you could possibly do to optimize fertility and overall general health. I'm so glad that the danger for men taking it. (laughs) It, There is one small study and it's still a small study, but like we don't take chances in our stuff. So it was like 124 people, if I remember correctly. But the study said that taking melatonin in men caused sperm defects. So yeah, we've been kind of sticking to that. (laughs) Like not worth risking it. If you're actively trying to get pregnant, if you are not actively trying to get pregnant, and your sleep really is suffering, taking melatonin for a short period of time is probably okay. Like your body will swing back from that. But really like hacking your sleep to the point where you wake up feeling amazing. Like, I love it. I love my life. I'm ready to go. I'm excited. Let's hit this day, right? Not like, oh my God, this snooze. Where's the snooze button? Let's hit that. Like, Where's the coffee times. maker? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So really I getting that to little the girl point. on YouTube that I don't know, it came out like 20 years ago, standing on the bathroom counter. I love my life. I love my mom. I love everything. We I wanted to be more like video. her. <laughs> I have not seen this video, but oh. that's, she sounds like my type of person. We'll try and find it on YouTube and send it to you. Yes. Yeah. I She's would called love Affirmations that. Girl. 
it's super Ooh, motivating. Okay. You're like, she's probably a billionaire. Four year old. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 She's killing yeah. it. She's killing it. Amazing. Yeah. Well, I think we're going to have to have you back on because there's so many more things to talk about, but I'm thank happy you to so come much. Back. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Thank you. This was so great. And I, I know our audience just loved this episode. So for everyone listening, if you want to learn more, I know you have, we'll link to your website and then on Instagram and TikTok, you are the holistic fertility doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, anywhere else people should be looking for you? No, that's it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. We're so grateful for you. Thanks for having me. It's fun <laughs> yeah, talking to so you. Fun. And thanks to everyone for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Hey, biohackers. Thank you so much for staying until the end. And because you did, we have a very exciting announcement. For the next 90 days, we are giving free access to our seven-day Biohacker Babes Challenge. Each day includes a quick nutrition video, workout of the day, and actionables to keep you on track as we move further away from the new year. This is a great time to reinvest in your resolutions and bring a friend along for the ride. The offer will only be available for these 90 days or until the end of April. To access this challenge for free and to invite a friend, scroll down to the show notes and click the link. We will make sure you can't miss it. Happy biohacking. Love this episode of the Biohacker Babes podcast? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. We truly appreciate your support. Until then, happy biohacking. This podcast offers health, fitness, and nutritional information and is designed for educational purposes only. You should not rely on this information as a substitute for, nor does it replace professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you have any concerns or questions about your health, you should always consult with your physician or healthcare professional. So if you don't have enough estrogen in the body, your vaginal microbiome is probably gone to shit.